Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me. This is Andrew with the Marshall Wisdom Podcast, and so grateful to be here, uh, and just grateful to you all. Life is excellent, and you guys that are listening to this podcast and a part of it, you are really a ray of sunshine in my life, so I thank you all for that, and I especially thank the listeners who are sending me amazing topics for episodes And that's actually a lot of the reason I'm able to keep going and stay on top of this and have good episodes each week is, is you guys being a part of the creative process. So, um, I thank them. You guys should thank them too. And any, any episode ideas you have continue to send them my way, but we have some amazing episodes coming up because I have some topics from some very faithful listeners, um, who've just thought of some amazing topics and shared them with me. So I really appreciate it you guys. Um, so today's topic is one of those topics from a faithful listener, good friend of mine, training partner, and he, uh, he wanted me to do an episode on naturopathic, um, therapies and how we can use those to maintain our health. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, what does that have to do with this podcast? Well, let me explain personally what it has to do with. So many years ago, when I was a young man in my early, I just turned like 20, I started suffering from a health ailment that changed my life dramatically. I'm not going to go into detail really what it was um, for personal reasons, but just mark my words, it's an actual disease process and it it, it very quickly affected my life to where a lot of the things I took for granted in the past were kind of taken from me and life was majorly altered. I had to combat um, constant fatigue and brain fog and things like that that just made life very hard to live, let alone be able to function as a human being, be able to go to work, be able to go to school. And so it became very challenging. So what do you do in those moments? Well, if you are a person who is a martial artist, you've learned to problem solve. You learn that when you're put in adverse situations, you start problem solving. You don't just wallow in your own suffering. Yeah, I'm not saying don't have empathy or sympathy for yourself, whatever you want to call it. I'm not saying that at all, but you've got to find a way to make things better and manage the situation and do that. And so bottom line is that. Um, and so that's what I did. And, and thank you so much to my grandmaster who taught me to do that. It wasn't just about self-defense in the classic scenario oh someone's bullying you you got to defend yourself it's about everyday life and what is one of your greatest threats disease illness you know things that rob you of your livelihood of your ability to function as a human being so you got to learn to combat these things you got to learn to deal with them you got to learn to try to problem solve them and make the best of your situation and so that's what i did i started researching um naturopathic ways of dealing with health situations because I started seeing traditional providers um, and I started getting tests done and then I got the bills for those tests and it got to the point where I couldn't even afford those things and I couldn't afford the therapies they were offering me so I had no choice but to start doing my own research on naturopathic therapies Um, and fortunately I found some that did help me quite a bit And so we're going to talk about that in this episode. Some of the things that have helped me a lot. I have to give a disclaimer first and say this really isn't medical advice. Even though I'm giving you advice on things that have helped me, I can't officially designate this as medical advice because I'll get in trouble by the FDA. (laughs) And um, 
you know, a lot of these things, they might not have as much studies on these things as some of the FDA approved therapies, but I'll provide you with what studies I can find on them that, you know, illustrate some of the evidence that I'm speaking of. Um, and we'll play devil's advocate. Bottom line though, any of these things you should talk with your own provider if you have one, because some of these can exacerbate certain conditions you might have. So it's important to let them know about that. Uh, and also you do this at your own risk, obviously, you know, not what, just cause something worked for me doesn't mean it will necessarily work for you. But I do would, I would like you to keep an open mind. Um, and we'll go from there. So this is an enormous topic and I have to focus it because it's going to be a long episode to begin with, but one of the greatest, um, problems or denominate common denominators of creating chronic health problems, at least in our modern society for our listeners, um, has to do with chronic stress response or, um, I would say chronically high elevated cortisol levels. Um, there are many other things that cause disease that can be primary causes or correlate with disease, but this is the one I'm going to focus on. And so bottom line is I'm going to explain to you guys a certain situation and then I'm going to connect it to modern day times so that you better understand why all of these therapies I'm going to talk about are so important to me. And they essentially are a part of actually reducing an exaggerated stress or cortisol response, bottom line. So let's talk about first, um, what is cortisol? So cortisol is a stress hormone, bottom line. It's released by your body, by your adrenal glands specifically, in stressful situations, whether they be physical stressors and or emotional, psychological stressors, something you perceive as a threat. So the best example, let's give an example of where this might happen. And from an evolutionary standpoint, why cortisol actually is a good functional stress hormone in a short term circumstance. So you're out hiking and you foolishly go out, um, maybe to the PCT trail and you're hiking alone, which is never a good thing. And you're 10 miles away from civilization. And all of a sudden, something le- you hear a growl something leaps on your neck and you turn around and something's attacking you and you turn around you kind of throw it and before you know it you're staring down a mountain lion that just tried to leap and pounce and kill you so immediately once you register what's going on your brain signals your body let's release norepinephrine and epinephrine to induce a fight or flight state i've gone into detail in episodes you know basically it's going to cause neurologic activation to certain areas of your body and then blood flow to shunt to certain areas to put you in the best position to fight or run away from danger it's a short-term response so boom you start fighting with this thing you've got like a, a knife or a big walking stick you end up whacking it like you have to tangle with it. You're not even sure what's happening. It's just scary as hell. You hit this thing and fortunately you knock it off balance and it slides down a hill and falls off like this cliff thing. And we'll say, we'll be nice. We'll say it falls into a lake, but it has to swim away and it's far away from you. It doesn't want to tangle with you anymore. So you're shaking, you're shaking up. Now you're looking at your body and you're like, your hands are shaking and you're doing a self inventory and you look down at your leg and your leg is just you can see actually a bone bulging out of your leg. And it's like, oh, damn, I broke my leg in this fight, probably. 
Um, you also got like slash marks on your arm. They're ble bleeding pretty good. You're trying to cover those up. So at the same time your body released epinephrine and norepinephrine, it also released a longer term, longer lasting stress hormone called cortisol. And let me tell you some of the things cortisol does to help you understand it better. One, it's going to, it's going to alter your brain activation or reactivity. It's actually going to alter your sleep wake cycle, your appetite and your memory so that you actually are in an alert state and you don't really want to sleep and you're more focused on getting away from danger and back home. It makes sense why you would want to not sleep in this circumstance. You got 10 miles to go and you're injured. If you stay out there, you could freeze to death or get hit by this mountain lion again. Number two, it's going to enhance vasoactive reactivity to, uh, to vasoactive agents. Why is that beneficial? Because you got these slash marks all over you and you're bleeding. You want to start the clotting process as best you can so you don't bleed to death before you get home. Next, you're going to, at the kidney, reabsorb more sodium. Why is that helpful? It reabsorbs more water so you pee less. You're less likely to get dehydrated. The last thing you need to worry about is climbing down to that lake and drinking water when you need to get out of this bad situation and get home. Next, it's going to cause anti-inflammatory and immunosuppressive actions. Why is that beneficial in this circumstance? Because you got 10 miles to hobble home on. You don't want inflammation being so bad in your leg or your arm to where you can't function with those. You actually, you need to have enough movement still to get home. Next, uh, it's going to cause a lot of things in terms of, it's going to cause your energy, your body's cellular energy forces to be released. So it's going to release as much glucose as possible through glycogen stores in your liver and your muscles, because you doesn't, you don't want to worry about having to eat right now, but you need enough energy to move your body to get home. It's also going to cause fat to be, um, basically clipped off and released into your bloodstream because that can be used as cellular energy as well. Um, in addition to this, it's even going to help your body break down muscle to create glucose or glucose-like uh, structures for cellular energy. So bottom line is it's releasing as much energy stores as possible in your body into the bloodstream so that you have the best fighting chance of not having to worry about eating and just getting the hell out of there and getting home to safety. So when you look at it this way, cortisol release in this sort of circumstance is very beneficial. And let's say you have just enough energy and just enough anti-inflammation and everything to actually get home before it's dark. You find another hiker who helps you hobble out and you get home and then your cortisol levels start decreasing because you're out of danger. You get medical attention. You're starting to heal and life is good. Now let's relate this to modern day life. Look at how much of our modern day life is so unhealthy. We are driving cars at very fast paces and we're dealing with people who oftentimes don't respect our space. And so those are potential predators in our mind. That causes cortisol release. We are dealing with people at our work who sometimes, um, you know, corporations, things like that, leadership even, who sometimes... They act like predators themselves, and we're constantly afraid of losing our job or being reprimanded by them. Those are potential predators. Again, we're releasing more cortisol. Um, we have all these modern worries constantly because our, our pace of life is really quite honestly unhealthy in many instances. 
So we are constantly stressed. And this is one of the major common denominators in terms of the production or the appearance of uh, chronic diseases at such a high rate. So one of my major arguments is that we need to um, reduce our stress levels and we need to have better cortisol responses and better dealing with high cortisol states. And that is precisely why the five things that I'm going to list as potential naturopathic therapies worked for me and why they, I think they would work for many people. Okay, so now that you understand that analogy, um, do you understand? Let me just break it down a little further. If you're chronically stressed and you're chronically releasing cortisol, what's that going to do to the brain activation? You're chronically in high alert mode and you're chronically having insomnia, not healthy. You're chronically release, having a higher vasoactive response. This is what leads to vascular problems. This is what can slowly lead to vascular problems, to endothelial damage of your arteries, um, to hypertension. Couple that with chronic reabsorption of sodium and water at the kidneys to elevate the blood pressure. You have chronic hypertension, which can lead to cardiovascular issues, stroke, increased uh, rates of kidney disease, etc. You have immunosuppression on a regular basis. You might, you know, this is going to affect your immune system. This gets a little more complicated because in the long run, they think that it actually hypercortisol response in the long run can actually cause inflammatory issues, especially to blood vessels. But I'm not going to go into much detail about that. But bottom line is that it can screw up your immune and inflammatory responses. Next is you have a chronic release of higher than normal glucose levels in your blood. Hello, diabetes. That's a recipe for diabetes, especially coupled with bad eating in our Western world and then lack of exercise. And then you have a constant release of um, lipids into your bloodstream at a higher than normal rate. Hello, cardiovascular disease. So as you can see, all of these things in the long run, chronically raising our cortisol levels, it's gotten to the point where it's no longer a therapeutic acute response, but it's oftentimes a chronic debilitating response over time. So now that I have that example for you guys, let's talk about the five best ways that I've found in terms of holistic health in, in regulating my own stress response and decreasing cortisol levels or a over-exaggerated stress response. Number one will be breath work, and I'll get into the best forms that I've found. Um, number two will be physical exercise. Believe it or not, that's such an important therapy for maintaining health. Number three will be um, herbs and supplements. And I'll actually specifically be talking, especially and focusing on adaptogen herbs, which is a term not many people, I think, know about. Um, number four will be mental or uh, intellectual exercise. Not many people talk about that too. And number five will be prayer and meditation. So all of these have been really elements of my own health maintenance that are so important to me and that it's taken, you know, over a decade to figure this out. So let's talk first about breathwork. Now you can look at breathwork studies and breathwork is becoming very, um, 
very well known now and they're doing more studies on it because it's showing a lot of positive effects even in terms of official studies. Now, into practitioners of yoga and certain Buddhist meditation, they've been doing this for centuries and any of them could tell you, oh yeah, we've known about that for a long time. But, you know, as things work in the West, a lot of times it's like, well, we need to have enough studies on it to actually believe it, um, which there's certainly drawbacks to that. I see some of the benefits, but there's drawbacks. So I'd, I'm just going to use one study just to kind of talk about this. We're going to talk about two breathwork forms. Number one is slow, deep, voluntary breathing or diaphragmatic breathing. Um, I'll talk about one system, systematic review because these are some of your most uh, most uh, all-encompassing studies where they look at many different studies and see the results and they synthesize the information. So this one is how breath control can change your life, a systematic review on psychophysiological correlates of slow breathing by Zaccaro, Z-A-C-C-A-R-O, et al., a few other offers as well. Um, bottom line, though, the results they found, there was a lot of results, and this is across the board with most of, in terms of the slow breathing I talk about, the parasympathetic breathing or box breathing, is that... Um, they had positive increase in heart rate variability and respiratory sinus arrhythmia. And those actually are considered potential correlates of health in terms of health measures, like general correlations. Um, EEG studies showed better alpha wave states, which are associated with relaxation um, and calm alertness. Functional MRIs actually showed increased activity in the prefrontal motor and parietal cortices, as well as the pons, the thalamus, the subparabrachial nucleus, and the paraaqueductal gray and hypothalamus structures. And this seemed to correlate with psychological and behavioral outputs that had to do with increased comfort, relaxation, pleasantness, euphoria, vigor, alertness, and reduced symptoms of anxiety, depression, anger, confusion, and arousal. And so um, if you look up breathwork, most of the breathwork studies show some sort of evidence like this. Um, and in particular, the one that there's a lot of different functions of breathwork, a lot of different breathwork styles. You got to find the one that works for you. But this has to do with intentional, slow diaphragmatic breathing. The best example of this I can see is box breathing. You can look that up and it's basically holding, taking a deep inhalation into your diaphragm deep for five seconds, hold your breath for five seconds. You can alter the amount of seconds. Exhale for five seconds, hold your breath for five seconds and restart the process. But just try this for five minutes a day, especially maybe before you go into work or before bed, a time when you feel like you need to kind of take a shot of relaxation and just see how you feel before versus after. And I think you'll start realizing the benefit of it. You can extend the time if you want, but even just try five minutes, you know, before you maybe go into your stressful work or whatever. And I think you'll um, find that you will increase your uh, relaxation level, kind of take some of the edge off and um, in turn, uh, increase your alertness even at the same time. Okay, so next breathing type of breathing is Wim Hof breathing um, or some sort of derivative thereof. Wim Hof is a fascinating guy. You should go look him up. Uh, I don't have all the time to get into the details about his life and this sort of breathing exercise that he formulated. Um, but he's a fascinating person and he has demonstrated scientifically, I mean, people, scientists have studied him, uh, that you can 
alter your physiology and your stress response in some uh, almost supernatural ways. This guy does um, just by breathe, learning to breathe a certain way and train yourself that way. And so with Wim Hof breathing, um, he recommends you do three rounds. And this actually, this thing is free on his website. You should take a look. Um, you, he recommends you do three rounds of this. You will inhale and exhale deeply and fast, um, like full diaphragmatic breath for about 30 to 40 breaths. You will then release your air and hold your breath and you will aim at holding your breath for two minutes. Now you might be wondering yourself, what the heck is that going to do that breath holding? Well, they're starting to see, um, massive, um, I shouldn't necessarily say massive, but you're starting, they're starting to see um, a lot of evidence on the, the benefits of hypo, intermittent hypoxic training. And what happens, I've actually hooked myself up to um, oxygen pulse oximeters for this, and I can get my oxygen down into the 50 to 60 percentile by the end of those two minutes. So I know that you're getting hypoxic, and when you're feeling the urge to breathe in, it's like, oh my gosh. I need to breathe. Your body's screaming at you. We're hypoxic. It's trying to trigger breathing. But they're finding benefits with this. Um, one of the studies I had recently looked up, I don't have it quoted. I can't quote it for you immediately right now because I don't have it up. But just look it up and you'll be able to find it. Take Don't take my word for it. Just look it up. You'll see what I mean. Um, that hypoxic um, training can actually be utilized to stimulate stem cell activation. And... Um, in addition to this, uh, help you help people recover from um, brain injuries, like strokes and things like that. So uh, there are a lot of different studies about it. The Wim's Ho Wim Hof studies, ones involving him and his the people he's trained in particular, have showed massive reductions in cortisol levels, like they've drawn it in the blood, and elevations in epinephrine and norepinephrine levels. And that's one of the reasons I think it helps individuals who are especially clinically depressed is it boosts epinephrine and norepinephrine levels similar to like a SNRI, a serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. And, um, but at the same time, it decreases cortisol levels, which is pretty amazing. So helping with the stress response. And these two methods in particular, they're some of the best breathing methods that I've ever had. And what I found to be helpful is they help me feel better physically. Um, they especially help me to feel better psychologically, especially if I'm going through a hard time and I need like a mental reset. Um, but then also they help you deal with um, physiologic stressors. Like I've noticed I've been able to run longer and have a better aerobic and anaerobic capacity after doing these, um, I've been able to immerse myself in extremely cold water for longer periods of time and have better control over my thermal regulation. I, I know that sounds crazy, but I've noticed a big time difference. And that's actually a big part of Wim Hof's training is cold water immersion. Again, these are all things that you need to make sure are safe for you. I'm not saying necessarily do them, but try the breathing. The breathing's safe. So try that. Obviously, with the breath retention, and the hyperventilating, you don't ever want to do that when you're doing something like driving a car or in water. And you want to be doing it when you're sitting down or laying down because you never know if you might pass out. Some people have. But um, 
these are really important things and breathwork um really opens up doors it opens up doors spiritually as well i've noticed myself becoming more spiritually attuned as i've gotten more into breath work and i think a lot of that has to do with putting you into different brain wave states so breath work is the first um first pillar of health i will go over so next is physical exercise and my major disclaimer about physical exercise you have to do the right physical exercise for you actually one of the best research papers i ever wrote i wrote it for my bachelor's degree i had to in a research class um it was on the or um, excuse me i actually wrote it for part of my master's excuse me and it was on the uh mental health benefits or the the treatment viability of um exercise regular physical exercise on clinical depression and anxiety disorders you know for mental health disorders and i ha i cited so much in this and uh this was a the evidence is overwhelming you know, you can look this up, just start looking this up and you'll have study after study demonstrating the evidence um, of phys regular physical activity, whether it be a lot of the best evidence they have right now is on aerobic activity, regular aerobic activity on it increasing um, serotonin levels, epinephrine, norepinephrine levels um, and activating certain areas of the brain, releasing endorphins that help with chronic pain improving depression and anxiety to scores and um the evidence is just overwhelming but they are also seeing evidence also in terms of strength training or resistance training um in in terms of like ana certain anaerobic training like sprinting and things like that so bottom line is what I, the moral of this story is that no matter what exercise you're capable of and not capable of there are beneficial types you can be doing and you need to be doing the type of exercise that is not causing you to get injured or causing health problems in you, but is actually helping you to improve your health. And there's a lot of different exercises out there. Uh, in particular, when I used to have a lot of problems with anxiety and depression and just with the disease process I was going through, that's when I actually started training for a half marathon. And it was the first time in my life that I actually developed a good aerobic capacity and realized that as long as I could get my aerobic capacity up and control my breathing, I could really essentially run forever at that aerobic pace. Um, but it did just phenomenal things for me. I remember the time when I first had a runner's high and that was incredible. Like that was just utterly incredible. And that's kind of that pivotal moment where I realized that how beneficial running or, um, could be for my, um, mental and physical health. You know, it, it altered chemistry that I needed altered at the time. So there's that. If you have bad needs, try cycling or try swimming, whatever it may be. I used to get very into swimming when I had problems with my knees. Um, next is also strength training, uh, strength training. If you prefer that, this is showing a lot of benefits too, and you need to do the right kind of strength training and you need to use proper form. Cause I know a ton of people who injure themselves strength training, but if you have more of a, 
calling to that, do strength training. Um, just do it the right way. Um, a very interesting type of training that's kind of a middle ground and more an anaerobic training is also called Tabata training. And I encourage you to look this up. For years, I did Tabata training and I was in uh, the best shape of my life. And I could run circles around most people um, in a very balanced way. I was, um, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole of talking about that. But bottom line is, it's a very specific style of training that capitalizes on anaerobic training where it's 20 seconds of all out exertion of some sort with 10 seconds of just breathing and resting then 20 seconds. And the cycle continues for four straight minutes. And that's one Tabata and uh, look up the original Tabata study. You will see that it improves not only aerobic capacity, but also anaerobic capacity. And it's one of the smartest ways you can work out if your health will allow it. It's a pretty grueling process. It doesn't take long, but um, if you have certain issues like cardiovascular ones, it could be dangerous for you. So you need to take it slow and also probably talk this over with your cardiologist if you are a cardiac patient, obviously. So that's, that's, those are some of the things I will give on exercise. Now, in addition to, in addition to what I said on exercise, Bottom line is, it's about regularity of exercise. You know, it's not about, one of the best things I'm learning, I'm reading actually a remarkable book called Atomic Habits. I advise anybody to read it. It's well worth your money. It's one of the most useful books I've ever read. But one of the best things he says in that book is that really in order to change yourself in the long run, it's not about it doing extraordinary things every so often. It's about doing ordinary, seemingly mundane things that become a habit um, because when you do those things repetitively for long periods of time, that's when your body's going to change overall and your identity is going to change. And that's ultimately our goal with everything is we want to change your identity to being better people. Um, not only in terms of identity of who we are as human beings, but also our physical identity, our very cellular makeup. So, um, so yeah, Tabata training is a good one. Um, physical exercise, though, doing that on a regular basis. Not to mention, you can look up any study and physical exercise reduces the right type on a regular basis, reduces hypertension, reduces the risk of diabetes, reduces the risk of um, chronic injury. If you're doing it the right type, um, reduces the risk of cardiovascular disease, reduces the risk of um, thromboembolic events. Look up just about any health condition under the sun. And this is an area that even Western medicine agrees with 100%. Look up Harvard. Harvard Med is excellent because they're um, renowned medical school, Ivy League medical school. And they do a lot. And they do actually a lot of studies on more naturopathic therapies as well. So they have an abundance of information on exercise and how it correlates with, um, you know, reduction in disease risk factors, basically. So exercise is so important for us. Um, next is adaptogen herbs. And this is a very, <laughs> some people might feel this is a little controversial, but in Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine, that's um, uh, Indian medicine in the East, these have been used for centuries. And um, these are specific herbs that if I had to give a general definition, they help your body deal with stress. Um, they balance certain processes in your body and help it deal with stress. Um, so they're directly helping that cortisol response in a sense. 
And they're, it's not about really adding anything to your body. It's helping to sort of uh, balance out your overall hormone response, essentially. And there's a lot out there, and some people tolerate some better than others. And you obviously have to look at the side effects on these different herbs and make sure that they are appropriate and safe for you. And these are things you should definitely talk to your primary provider about before taking them. And you both should be on the same page to see if it's safe and do your own research. But there's a lot out there and they're called adaptogen herbs. Some of the ones I will mention that you maybe have heard of, there's different types of ginseng. So there's um, Chinese ginseng, there's Korean ginseng, there's Siberian ginseng, which is actually an Eleuthero family. It's not really a ginseng, but they call it that. Um, there is um, Tongat Ali. There is um, licorice root. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the others. There are... There's Bacopa, Gotakula, um, and, and numerous others of these herbs. And um, Shizandra. These are things you can just look up, start researching on your own, talk over them with your primary care provider if you think that they might um, benefit you. Um, they are also herbs that are not not intended for you to take indefinitely. They're usually intended to be taken for a few weeks or a month and then take a break from just to kind of help you regulate your hormone levels and stress levels, especially if you're going through a very stressful period. Um, and again, you need to make sure, do your own research on these, make sure that you are not taking something that's altering another medication you need or putting you in a dangerous situation and talk them over with your primary care provider if they know you will to say like, hey, would this be safe for me to take? Because a lot of times, like me, I'm, I'm actually an, an FNP myself, a certified FNP. And so patients might come to me and it's like, well, yeah, there's no evidence. I, I might say to them, there's no evidence that that's, that shouldn't affect this. If it does, we'll stop it, but you should be okay to take that. Now, in addition to this, there are, is a plethora of other supplements and herbs out there. Um, now, the thing you have to remember with supplements and herbs, they don't have the backing of these large pharmaceutical companies in most instances. So there might be, le there's definitely less evidence on a lot of these because these pharmaceutical companies have not paid to have studies conduct excuse me, conducted on them. Um, so some of the best ways, some of the ways I recommend this is that you actually uh, look at some reputable, um, like Ayurvedic and Chinese medicine, even Persian medicine. Persian has a long-standing history of the Persian Empire before of, um, of using century-old therapies. And, and they, were, they were remarkably ahead of Europe Europe, especially around the Middle Ages and medieval time, in terms of their um, ability to treat disease. They were remarkably ahead. So I think there's a lot of wisdom in their um, natural medicine, Persian natural medicine. That's an interesting area to look up. But look up some of these therapies that have been done for centuries um, and kind of start there because you have time on your side in terms of being able to um, kind of examine what evidence is available, that sort of thing. And um, other herbs and supplements too, there's a lot out there, like I said. Fish oil, that's something that in the, even in the West has been declared as being very anti-inflammatory. 
that's something I take daily. Obviously, it can thin your blood. So if you have any propensity to that or brain bleeds or things like that where you are at an increased risk for bleeding, you do not want to take this. But um, if you want some anti-inflammation and you have no contraindication to taking that, that's one you could look into and talk to, to your with your provider about. But there's a numerous amount of these. I don't have enough time to go into all these. Maybe I'll do an episode specifically on that, on these to just introduce you to some that you've never heard of. But um, herbs and naturopathic supplements did play an important part of my life, especially during that period when I didn't have money for um, Western conventional medicine. And they really did help me a lot. Um, that being said, some herbs and supplements can be overpriced. So you just have to balance things out. Next is mental or intellectual exercise. And this is such an important area uh, that, you know, our brains, we need intellectual stimulation, bottom line. Um, and we need that to be, have healthy and happy brains. And um, that's, this is something that I learned firsthand. You know, back when I, I went through phases in my life where I was not stimulating myself intellectually. Uh, I was not trying to learn new things. I was not trying to research new things, not try to create things like, like with this podcast, this is very intellectually, intellectually, uh, stimulating because I get to interact with people, try to think of new episodes to do. And then I have to research topics. And then I think of how, how I'm going to say them, how I'm going to convey this information to you guys. Uh, and it's awesome. Like stimulating really is the best word because it gives me this sort of intellectual energy that gives me energy in general, um, mentally, especially, but psychologically, even some physical energy. I feel like I, I feel stimulated and driven when I intellectually research some topic and want to present it to you guys and do some sort of intellectual endeavor. And that might look different for you guys. You might not want to start a podcast, but maybe you want to start, um, learning about a certain subject. It can be as simple as that. So learn about a certain subject. But what I will add that was one of the biggest game changer for me is not just learning about something, but then actually teaching that to other people. And that doesn't have to be in an official capacity, but learn something and then volunteer to teach that to other people who are actually interested in that subject matter. Because you will learn more that way and you'll actually know what you know and what you don't know. And it will, it'll stimulate you more intellectually when you actually have to start teaching people and they start asking you questions and you start realizing, okay, well, I know this well enough to explain this, but I don't know that. So then you have to go research more. It just is a game changer, you know, teaching other people. So even if it's your own children, I highly advise that teach them about things they're interested in and things that might help them. And that would stimulate their own curiosities. Um, it's just such an important thing and part of the intellectual, uh, creativity. And finally is prayer and meditation. Um, it doesn't remember, it does not matter what sort of, um, religious, if you have a religious affiliation or not, um, if you are, if you claim to be a part of some spiritual tradition or not, it really doesn't matter. The evidence is, there's a lot of evidence out there and you can look this up just Google it and start looking up studies on prayer and meditation and watch the amount of evidence that comes out that show the benefits for you. Um, emotionally, psychologically, 
and even the physiological benefits of prayer and meditation. I consider them both the same thing, me personally. Um, and there are many different forms. And again, like the exercise, you have to find the right form that works for you, that you feel drawn to. I think that's the biggest thing for this. But if you make prayer and meditation a part of your life regularly on a daily basis, you will start to see some major changes in your life. Um, and you will, you'll start to see the psychological benefits, not only the spiritual benefits, obviously, but the psychological benefits, and even, I think, physiological benefits, especially in terms of reducing your stress level and chronically high cortisol levels, which, let's face it, that's an epidemic in modern societies. Um, and so this is just such an important thing uh, you, there's a plenty, there's a lot of information online. There's a lot of information in books, find something spiritually that you're interested in and, and a form of meditation or prayer that you're comfortable with and do it. One of the ones that I find to be, that people are very com that people can easily be comfortable with even right off the bat is something called a meta prayer. It's a beautiful prayer, um, believed to be introduced first in Buddhism where you focus on, let's say, um, you focus first on yourself and you, you, you wish or pray for your peace, your prosperity, your happiness, your wellness. Um, I might be, you know, it's to that extent, like that might not be the traditional wording of the prayer. And then you do that several times and you envision yourself and then you move to somebody you're close to, like maybe you're like one of the closest people, you know, your spouse, your best friend, your child, whatever it may be. Um, and then somebody a little bit more distant than you, like maybe a, maybe a friend of yours or a family member of yours that isn't quite as close to your inner circle, but you know, you still, you're still close. And then maybe a coworker after that. And then maybe just imagine a stranger or somebody you see that's an acquaintance on a daily basis that you don't really know. And then you do that to them. And then imagine the world as a whole with all its people. And then you do that to them. Um, and this is a beautiful form of prayer and meditation because it gets you outside of yourself and um, thinking about humanity as a whole. So this is one I actually do recommend to people because... Um, I've actually even done it with people that I perceived as like enemies in a sense that I can't trust them. And it's really amazing. Actually, if you go, if you have to go deal with these people after the fact, um, when you start seeing them more as like a human being, like how you're not able to, how it helps you not take things as personal from them and actually maybe see their point on things and you cooperate better. Um, if you need to in that sort of environment. Uh, so it's a very beneficial prayer slash meditation. And it's one that I do recommend to people if they need a starting point on. So that's the bottom line, guys. Um, as a recap, breath work, physical exercise, herbs and supplements, especially with emphasis on adaptogen herbs, mental or intellectual exercise, and then prayer and meditation. These are really the five key pillars that I found that helped me not only cope with a very um, debilitating illness at the time that I was dealing with, but then also helped um, nurse me in some ways back to much better health 
They help me maintain my health. They help me maintain my wellness. And they're areas that I advise you explore. And um, you guys are really important to me. And I pray and wish the best for you. So hopefully this episode was very helpful for you. And um, I look forward to speaking to you some more. I got great episodes coming up. So I love you all. Have a great day. Bye.